and good morning. Uh, glad you are with us this morning, uh, wherever you are and however you're tuning in with us. Uh, we're glad that uh, you're participating in this worship together and trust that uh, though we might be separated, our object of worship is the same uh, and we trust that God is at work. If this is your first time uh, connecting with us in any way, we really would love to, to connect more deeply with you. As Timothy said, fill out the virtual online card, email one of us, uh, join a, a virtual city group. Uh, there are a lot of ways that you can connect more deeply into the life of our church. Uh, this coronavirus has all of us adjusting to live into a new reality for at least the next few weeks and months. Uh, we're going to be live streaming corporate worship at least through April 5th, it's probably going to be beyond that as we monitor and adhere to CDC guidelines. This really is a, a unique time for everyone, and it's a, a unique time for the church. And so I would encourage you to look at our calendar, uh, look at ways that we're trying to, to be the church in this moment. We've been praying and, uh, and discerning what it looks like to be the church. So check out our calendar and all that we're offering in this time. Uh, I, I'm not playing the preacher uh, or being hyper-spiritual when I say that I really do believe that this pandemic uh, and this time that we're in might be a time we look back in history and see it as a renewal movement by God. I'm praying for deep individual spiritual renewal in myself and in all of us. And, and I believe as God renews each of us by his presence, that it will lead to corporate renewal in which we see society and culture transformed. And we're almost at the end, if you've been with us at all, of this series uh, of in Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're going to look this morning at Ecclesiastes and we'll finish it up next week. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of John uh, during Holy Week, uh, looking at the narrative of John's Gospel for Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. So I hope you'll tune in for that as well. If you've been with us in this series, the, the preacher-teacher in Ecclesiastes has been hammering us with the truth that death is our best teacher. The graveyard is the best vantage point for living in this world. He has been throwing cold water in our faces, trying to wake us up to the reality of life under the sun so that we might live fully while we are here. If God's not been getting through to your mind and to your heart in this book, the coronavirus is the coldest cup of water in our face that we've received since 2008 or since 9-11. Because of this crisis, we now have a different perspective about life under the sun than we did just a few weeks ago. The book of Ecclesiastes begins with a poem in chapter 1, and it's a poem about the cyclical pattern in nature and the world. And the book now ends with another poem. And this poem is about the universal pattern of every individual life coming to its end in death. We are being taught how to live with one foot in the grave and one foot in the world. And doing so will lead to viewing life as gift. So if you're able uh, in your viewing, I'm going to ask you to stand as we do on a Sunday when we're together for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 7 through chapter 12, verse 8. This is God's word to us this morning. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, 
But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your, from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and the terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. The prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would take the living and active word of God and bring it to bear deep within our minds and our thoughts, deep within our hearts, our emotions, our souls, that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit, to our spirits so that we might be transformed. God, I pray that, that you would have your way this morning, that you would remove me, the preacher, so that Christ and Christ alone speaks and is experienced. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, in 1984, Bruce Springsteen, known as the boss, released a hit, The Glory Days, or Glory Days, not The Glory Days, just Glory Days. Maybe you know this song. Uh, in it, he sung, I had a friend, was a big baseball player back in high school. He could throw that speedball by you, make you look like a fool, boy. Saw him the other night at this roadside bar. I was walking in. He was walking out. We went back inside, sat down, had a few drinks, but all he kept talking about was glory days. Well, they'll pass you by glory days. In the wink of a young girl's eye, glory days. Now I think I'm going to go down to the well tonight. I'm going to drink till I get my fill, and I hope when I get old I don't sit around thinking about it, but I probably will. Yeah, just sitting back trying to recapture a little of the glory of well, time slips away and leaves you with nothing, mister, but boring stories of glory days. Maybe you know that song. This is the song of an old man sitting at a bar with an old friend remembering when days were easy, when days were enjoyable, reminiscing about the glory days. Well, the end of Ecclesiastes is the older wise teacher looking back on his life, giving us closing arguments on how to live fully in this one life under the sun. And growing old, it makes our body and our inner self part ways, doesn't it? And as we get older, our bodies feel our age. My almost 42-year-old body feels a three-mile run differently than it did 10 years ago and much differently than it did 20 years ago. But inside, I still want to believe I'm young that it was just the other day that I could go for a run or play basketball and not feel it. Those were the glory days. The preacher, because of old age, looks back 
and reminisces on his glory days. And some of you this morning can relate to the preacher. You're aging, you're getting older, and the inner self tells you that you're young, but your body is reminding you how old you really are. And we don't have to be as old as the preacher to look back at the glory days. The coronavirus has us looking back just a few weeks and and remembering when times were enjoyable and times were good. Much has been removed by this pandemic. In many ways, it has sped up time and made us realize that in life, things will be removed or taken from us. Just to go to a friend's house for dinner again. Just to go to the gym and exercise. To go to the movie and eat popcorn to take a walk at Duke Gardens, to gather in person together on Sunday for worship. We look back just a few weeks and we can reminisce about the glory days. There have been many good things that possibly we took for granted, but now we realize were and are great gifts to us. The old wise teacher is telling us, you will not always be able to do what you're able to do right now. So grab life by two hands and live it fully. Now, I know that may sound strange right now in this time, but I don't know if there's a better time than now to say now is our time to grab life by two hands and live it fully. The coronavirus has all of us realizing that we do live this life with one foot in the grave and one foot in this world. So now is the time, like the preacher says in chapter 11, verse 7, to turn our faces up to the sun and to bask in the warmth of a sunny spring day. So we can allow age and we can allow this crisis to give us proper perspective so that we can experience the bliss of being alive. Now is the time for us to grab life with two hands. The preacher gives us the two hands that helps us lay hold of life here under the sun. And there are two commands. Two commands, rejoice and remember, the two hands to lay hold of life under the sun. Rejoice and remember. Let's look first at rejoice. Enjoy, have joy. This is a command from God, which means this is not optional. It sounds maybe like an odd command, doesn't it? To to have joy. I think this is the way we normally conceive of God's commands. I think we normally think of God's commands as restrictive. But here God is commanding us to have joy, to rejoice. What does that mean? That God is commanding us to have joy. God is commanding us to be happy. It means that having joy is a serious matter to God. Throughout the Bible, there is a clear call to rejoice or to have joy or to enjoy. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 47, Moses is spelling out the blessings and the curses for obeying and disobeying God. And there he says, because you have not served with joyfulness and gladness of heart. David says, serve the Lord with gladness. Psalm 16, verse 11, a passage that we prayed over our second son says, in the presence of God is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, abide in me. Why? So that your joy may be full. Now, let me be clear, especially in light of our current crisis, 
that God does not ask us to overlook tragedies. God does not ask us to overlook sadness. In the Christian life, there is a lot of room for sadness, for weeping, lament, sorrow. In the Christian life, we embrace the very real realities of mental health issues like depression and anxiety and many more. We do not deny the existence of these and God never asks us to suppress these things with a plastic smile or a facade uh, face of joy. This command of joy, it's not a command to live like an iceberg. You know, an iceberg, right? 10% of the iceberg is what's on top of the water. It's what's visible and 90% of the icebergs below the water unseen. God is not saying 90% of your life, your emotional life, you are to suppress it, push it all down, and then put on that smile so that everybody sees this happy, chipper Christian. No. In the Bible, we do hear commands like this. James in the New Testament says, count it all joy when you experience trials. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10 says, be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. There is a deep joy that exists even in the midst of sorrow. We're going to get to that joy in a little bit. But rejoice. This is a command, not just for the young, though the preacher is mainly addressing the young. Look at verse 8. It says, if a person lives many years, rejoice in them all. Everyone who is alive, everyone that has breath, we are to rejoice. Why? Well, look at the end of verse 9. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Wait, wait, what? God will bring you into judgment. Now, some commentators have suggested that this is like God acting a little bit like one of our parents, telling us to go have fun, but remember, actions have consequences. Go have fun, but, but remember, your curfew's at 10 p.m. Your fun has to end at a certain point. But I agree with other scholars that suggest that verse 9 is saying that God will judge us on whether or not we have lived with joy. As one writer said, humans are supposed to enjoy life to the full because that is their divinely assigned portion. And God calls one into account for failure to enjoy. Enjoyment is not just permitted, it is commanded. It is a divine imperative. So hear this, this means that joylessness is a sin. John Ortberg said that the Bible puts joy in a non-optional category. Joylessness is a serious sin to which religious people are prone to. He says this might be the most tolerated sin by the church. That hurts. See, yes, we lament. This is the season of Lent for the Christian calendar. And, and so we mourn the brokenness of this world, sinfulness in our lives. We mourn for the losses caused by this pandemic. But sometimes Christians can wear sadness as a badge of honor. I know I can, kind of moping around. This past week, Connor Puckett, who's our student ministry director, during our virtual staff meeting on Tuesday, uh, we were all talking about reimagining being the church together, what it means now in light of this virus. And Connor said, I think we need to have some fun together. That could sound odd in this time for many, but I think Connor was being wise, like the teacher is being wise and teaching us to be wise, that we are to enjoy life even in sorrow. 
Douglas Jones, uh, a, ch a church historian, argues that Christian churches have, uh, and uh, that argues that Christian cultures rather have failed throughout church history, not primarily because of insufficient theological education or poor doctrine or inadequate evangelism or weak leadership, but because of a lack of joy. Think about it. Has there ever been a time in church history where a church council has convened to discuss joy in the church? When have we ever examined the pastor for ordination over the presence of joy? When has there ever been a discipline case in a church because of a lack of joy? I mean, discipline charges for grumpiness. Joy in the Christian life is a serious matter. Well, maybe you're wondering, okay, Daniel, this sounds good. How do I have joy? How do I rejoice? I want this, but it, it's not always true of my life. Well, look at verse 9 again. It says, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Right? Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. God has given you your heart, your mind, your eyes to explore and to enjoy this world. The world we live in is God's playground for you to enjoy. Uh, poet Wallace Stevens wrote that death is the mother of beauty. He's saying that the perspective that death gives, gives birth to beholding beauty. Stephen sounds like the old teacher. That enjoyment of beauty in God's world comes with death in view. It sets perspective that all things are a gift and are to be enjoyed, for they could be taken away in a moment. The coronavirus has all of us awake with hearts aroused and eyes open to how things in this world can be taken away. This past week, I've delighted more in my children than I have in a long time, while still getting frustrated as a parent. I've marveled at the weeping redbud tree that has started to blossom in my yard. I've danced more, I've sang out loud more. My eyes have been open to behold the beautiful world in the midst of this tragedy. As we live with one foot in the grave and one foot in this world, it leads us to rejoice. God has created this world for us to enjoy. Let me give you one more illustration to drive this point home. It has been a pure joy for me to see our oldest son learn to ride his bike since Christmas. He had a balanced bike, and so for Christmas we gave him a pedal bike. And, man, he has been tearing up his pedal bike since day one. He hasn't stopped riding it. It would have crushed Rachel and I if we would have given him this bike for Christmas. And he said, thanks, Mom and Dad, and then he put it in our carport, shiny and brand new, never touching it. When I see him riding his bike with that big grin on his face, I smile. I love seeing him enjoy the bike. My point is that real relationship involves seeing another person take pleasure in the gift given. Delight is what we ask of others as we freely give to them. God has given us this world to enjoy him and to know him. Now, I've got to say here that this is not vague joy. This is not joy on our own terms. The joy that we are to have is joy in God may still be asking, all right, that sounds good. I'll joy, joy in God, but I still, I still don't know how. 
Well, the second command that God gives us enables us to live into this first command. The second command in our passage or the second hand to grab life and live it fully is remember. Remember. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator. Remember, that's, this is not something that is passive, it's active. It is something that we do habitually, deliberately, daily. It's a command. Remembering is a decision that we make. If we want to be joyful, we must learn how to remember. Now note that the, the teacher doesn't say remember God. The teacher says remember your creator. So why does he say be active? be habitual, be deliberate to remember your creator because he's teaching us yet again that we need to know our place. Right? We are the creature. God is the creator. We're on earth. He is in heaven. And remembering our creator, it's not a purely mental act. It is a confession of our tendency towards self-sufficiency and then committing ourselves to him. Right? If you believe that you are in charge of your life, and you must do all you can to control your circumstances, life will be infuriating, anger and resentment will boil when life does not work out the way that you desire. Hear this, sin is perpetuated in this world when we become would-be creators. When we believe we're in charge, when we demand life on our own terms, a joy that remains even in sorrow is snuffed out by a posture of self-sufficiency. What I'm saying is that worshiping anything more than God is the thief of true joy. The command to remember your creator is saying, watch out. The chief object of worship is most often the self. And when we have a posture of self-sufficiency, it leads us to look for joy in lesser things than God. C.S. Lewis famously said, we're far too easily pleased. We settle for mud pies in the slum when God offers us a holiday at sea. We find more joy and more happiness in March Madness than we do in God. We find more joy in watching the Masters golf tournament than God. We find more joy in a date night out at our favorite restaurant than God. We find more joy in a perfectly ordered home than we do in God. We find more joy in the gains of the stock, stock market than we do God. And this global crisis is removing many of these lesser things. We don't have March Madness. We have no sports. There are no date nights out. There's no school for children to go to so that we can get our house in order. Instead of gains to our retirement accounts, we're seeing the stock market decline like the Great Recession of 2008 and perhaps like the Great Depression of the 1930s. This pandemic is waking us, waking us up to the reality that we're not in control. We cannot demand life on our terms. And in this time, if we allow God to do so, he can lead us to see the lesser things that we often worship more than him which reveals this posture of self-sufficiency. And then we can confess these things and turn and commit ourselves to finding joy in him. This is why I said at the very beginning, I really do believe that we might just look back at this time in history and see it as a moment in which God brings a deep spiritual renewal, spiritually renewing his people and his church that then leads to social and cultural renewal. 
Remember your creator. It's putting God in his rightful place. He is the supremely valuable. He is the one in whom our hearts are most satisfied. He is in charge. He provides. He sustains in ways that we may not always know and in timing that we may not always expect. We are to remember our creator. Remembering God as creator is also a, a call and to, a command to recall how the world was meant to be and then seek to live in light of that. It's to, it's to remember and recall Genesis 1 through 3 and allow this to shape and form how we live in this world now. And we know from Genesis 1 through 3 that God made a good world, not an evil world, that we're the ones responsible for spoiling it, not him. This poem at the end of this book has a lot of creation imagery, sun, light, moon, and stars. It is echoing God's creation story of Genesis chapter 1. And then there's a reference to things going dark, which is the imagery of the good and right order of creation being reversed. The God, the creator, he made every person. And at the end of life and death, every person is unmade. That's what the poem's describing in verses two through seven. Look at verses two through seven. Darkness and clouds. This is general decline of old age. Verse three, keepers of the house. That's the, the hands that were once strong and capable, but now grow limp and tremble. The grinders are teeth, and they're now few. Windows are the eyes, and the eyesight begins to fail. The doors are the ears, and hearing begins to fail. Faculties are fading. The almond tree blossoms. It's the hair turning white. The grasshopper drags itself along, just limping along in old age. And verse 6 says, The silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken. This is the end of all things. It's death. So the preacher in his old age is saying, Enjoy all that God has given you while you can. Because there will come a time when old age will take it away from you. There will come a time when the frailty of this world will take away that which our creator God said in the beginning is very good and that we are to enjoy. Enjoy, though, by remembering God is the creator. He is our chief joy. He is the one in whom our hearts are most satisfied. It's joy in him, not joy apart from him. And Jesus said, my joy I give to you. The creation account of Genesis chapter 2 says there that the Lord formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And then God declared that everything was good and that humanity was to enjoy. Now look at verse 7 of our passage. There it says, dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. What we see again is that the Death is the reversal of creation. The, the dust from which we are made is the dust to which we return. The breath of God that gave us life is the breath that returns to the God who gave it. When we die, creation itself becomes undone, which is why as Christians we trust the good news of the gospel, that our creator is not merely our creator, he is also our redeemer. Colossians chapter, chapter 1 says, For in him, in Jesus, all things were created. Jesus created all things. And because of his great love for, for his creation, 
He entered creation in order to reconcile all things to himself, to restore all things and to make right all things. In order to undo death, which takes away all of our joy, Jesus entered the dust of the grave. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And out of his death and out of his resurrection, he brings a new creation where we will experience joy eternal. So remember, he's your creator. And remember, he is your savior. How? Daily, habitual remembering. He is God, we are not. Confessing the ways in which we worship things less than him. Confessing the way that we place ourselves as the would-be creator. And then remember that, that he's given us this whole world to enjoy and to know him. And let it lead you to gratitude. For gratitude, not grumpiness, is the mark of the Christian. At the end of John Newton's life, Newton is the man who penned the hymn Amazing Grace. He said at the end of his life, my memory is now fading me. If I can just remember, I'm a great sinner. Christ is a great savior. I'm a great sinner. Christ is a great savior. Listen, if we can remember that I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great savior and that he gave us this whole world to enjoy and know him, I believe it will lead us to be much more kind, much more compassionate, much more charitable, happier than we've ever dreamed. So may we rejoice and may we remember the two commands, the two hands by which we grab life by the collar and live it fully. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would help us, God, to, to rejoice and to remember. God, these commands are things we cannot do in our own strength and our own power. We need you to grace us. We need you to, to lead us and how to to have joy in all things and how to confess, Lord, a, a, the gift of confession of our own self-sufficiency. Confess the ways that we worship things that are less than you. Lord, this time right now that we find ourselves in is stripping away uh, the crutches that we've leaned on. You, you, I believe, are leading us to lean more deeply on you, to depend more on you. And so, God, I pray uh, that as we remember and as we rejoice that we would live this life fully, even now in the midst of sorrow. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.